Well, I get to say welcome again. It's awesome uh, from this view, seeing everybody in the cars. Welcome, good morning, everybody on the field, all the kids moving over towards their uh, Nova Kids classes, uh, everybody on the live stream. We are so glad that you are here worshiping today. It is a gorgeous and beautiful day, and we've been spending some time in our current series uh, called Moving Forward, looking at different ideas uh, all throughout Scripture related to moving forward in our faith and our journey with God. And uh, our journey actually begins with God and starts with God, and it's He who begins His work in us, as we learned about. And, and we've learned that God will be faithful to complete that work that He has begun. We've talked about the direction that God gives and the fact that God is with us on this entire journey. We've touched on topics like what to do before you move forward and how our moving forward is for God's glory, but also our good. And today, we're going to uh, learn from an example from the life of David in the Old Testament. And our main passage of Scripture, if you want to turn there on your device or bookmark that, is going to be in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 18 through 22. And it's also in the notes there if you're following along as well. Uh, and the books of First and Second Samuel are, are very interesting books in our Old Testament. And there's so much included in these books, but a really large chunk of them uh, is dedicated to telling the story of the life of David. And you might know him as King David. He was Israel's second king with Saul being the first. Uh, he is the David from the story of David and Goliath. Uh, you also might know him as the David from the story of David and Bathsheba. Um, there are a lot of things that we can see and learn from in the life of David. And, and I want to start by mentioning just some key elements of his life. I jotted down some bullet points here, but kind of a brief bio, if you will. Uh, David is the youngest son of Jesse, his father. He has seven older brothers, and he grows up as a shepherd. Uh, the prophet Samuel came and anointed David to be the next king. Uh, when he was very young, actually, there's not a specific age mentioned, but he was probably maybe 12 or 13 years old. Over the years, David serves King Saul, who is their first king, uh, as a musician, as an armor bearer, and later as a military leader after he defeats Goliath in battle and becomes a commander in the armies. David becomes king of Judah at age 30 years old. And it was about another seven years later that he was finally recognized as the king over all of Israel and not just Judah. David is the one who captures the city of Jerusalem and brings the Ark of God, the Ark of the Covenant there. And later in life, David's also known for a couple of more negative things. I already mentioned his sin with Bathsheba and covering that up. And then also later in life, the taking of a census so that he could tally his people. And David dies at 70 years old after ruling for 40 years as king. As I said, there's a, a lot in there in the life of David. But one of the most important things that David is known for is really caught up in this phrase that gets used to describe him. David is known as a man after God's own heart. And this is a phrase that's found in both the Old and the New Testaments. You can find it in 1 Samuel chapter 13, verse 14, and also in Acts chapter 13, verse 22 in the New Testament. Here in 2 Samuel, excuse me, 2 Samuel chapter 7, kind of scrunching words together there, we come to an interesting portion in the story of David. And David is the king, and he realizes that as the king, I live in this palace. He calls it a house of cedar. But the ark of God lives in a tent. 
and he wanted to do something about that. He talks with Nathan the prophet at the time, and Nathan tells him, whatever you have in mind, go ahead and do it, for the Lord is with you. But that very night, the Lord came and spoke to Nathan and tells Nathan to go and give David a little bit of a different message. And in this message to the prophet Nathan, God is the one who says, it's going to be me that builds my own house, not David. David's not going to be the one to build that. And Nathan passes on this message to David. But at the same time, God also promises to establish David's throne forever. This is what becomes known as the Davidic covenant. And there's more details and there's more specifics. But at this point, what happens next in David's story is really interesting. And this brings us right up in 2 Samuel chapter 7 to verse 18 through 22, our passage in our text for today. And I'm going to read that for us. 2 Samuel 7, starting in verse 18. Then King David went in and sat before the Lord, and he said, Who am I, sovereign Lord, and what is my family that you have brought me this far? And as if this were not enough in your sight, sovereign Lord, you have also spoken about the future of the house of your servant. And this decree, sovereign Lord, is for a mere human. What more can David say to you? For you know your servant, sovereign Lord. For the sake of your word and according to your will, you have done this great thing and made it known to your servant. How great you are, sovereign Lord. There is no one like you and there is no God but you as we have heard with our own ears. This is God's word to us from 2 Samuel chapter 7. That very first idea and thought and comment in verse 18 is so interesting to me. Then David went in and sat before the Lord. David sat before the Lord. I think this is striking. When David has some grand plans for building something great for God, and in essence, he's told, no, you're not going to be the one to build it. But he's also given this promise that the throne of his kingdom is going to be established forever. This is David's response. It's amazing. He went in and he sat before the Lord. In the greater context of this passage, we can find examples of God's grace, what God has done, what God promises to do. And, you know, God's grace, after all, is characteristic of who God is, his own character. That's, that's what God does. But this passage is a great example of David's response. In verse 18, that idea of sat, he went in and sat before the Lord. The word actually means remained. David spent a great deal of time before the Lord. His response here, it's actually pretty characteristic of David's character. It's what David does. And this isn't something new for him. He's developed a lifestyle of drawing near to God. And the characteristics of this response should serve as a, as a model for us, a model for any Christian who has experienced God's grace in their life. There's a genuine sense of humility. And David picked up on God's reminder and he asks a question that many Christians ask, right? Who am I, Lord? <laughs> Who am I that you have brought me this far is what he asks in verse 18. And sitting before the Lord, David's mind goes back to the beginning. Samuel visits his father's house when he was first anointed to be king. And David's overwhelmed by the memories of, of all of these things that God has done from that day on to bring him to the throne as the king and also to bring peace and prosperity to Israel. It's good for us to sit before the throne of God 
to remember the things that He has done and how far He has brought us. There's a sense of gratitude for God's promises. David has lived through so much, and you can read about that if you want to on your own, and I suggest that if you haven't ever before. Go back and read 1 Samuel and and 2 Samuel. There's so much that David goes on through, and here in the passage that we've read and in the verses to follow that I didn't read, David goes on to rehearse, I guess you could say, the, the promises that God has made to him. And it's not to remind God of the promises, but it's to remind himself of God's greatness. Now, why is this idea important to draw near to God? Well, for a lot of people, it's not important at all. They don't have a relationship with God. But for those of us who follow Jesus, it's a very important idea. Jesus himself says, apart from me, you can do nothing. We're supposed to draw near to God, to develop an intimacy with Him. And intimacy is a word that we use to call that experience of of really knowing and being known by someone else. A lot of times we use um, spatial language, you might say, to describe this experience, right? An intimate friend is someone we feel close to. And if something damages that intimacy, they feel distant. And that's really interesting, but... Of course, intimacy is not spatial, it's relational. We all know what it's like to be sitting right next to someone we feel distant from. And we probably know what it's like to feel very close to somebody who might be thousands of miles away. What makes us feel intimate with someone? I think there's probably a lot of different ingredients and each relationship probably has its own unique recipe. It's not the same for every single one. But common to all of them is one idea, trust. We can't be intimate with somebody we don't trust. Trust is at the heart of relational intimacy. The more we trust someone, the closer we let them get to us. And this is as true in our relationship with God as it is in our relationships with other people. Our experience of God's nearness, or His distance for that matter, it's not a description of his actual proximity to us, but it's, it's an experience of where we're at in our intimacy with him. Scripture shows us that God is intimate with those who trust him. The more we trust God, the more intimately we come to know him. And a felt distance from God is often due to a disruption in trust. David sat before the Lord because David trusted the Lord. And as we sit before the throne of God and recount all of the things that God has done. We can see the deeper reasons to trust God more and more. And the most important thing that God has done is to have provided a way for us to come back into a right relationship with Him. He sent His Son Jesus to die on the cross, pay the penalty for our sin, and to rise from the grave, defeating the power of sin and death. And I'll say, by the way, that's probably the secret to drawing near to God and having a close relationship with him. It's Jesus. Jesus said himself, no one comes to the Father except through me, in John 14, verse 6. We draw near to God through faith in Jesus because Jesus is the only one who gives us access to God. The scriptures also tell us, in Hebrews 11, verse 6, that without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. That phrase comes to him, that's this idea of drawing near to him. 
That's also why it mentions that idea of earnestly seeking. This is what David developed throughout his life. And that's what we need to be developing too. A continuous connection to God through Jesus. And Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. In John 15, verse 5. Picture a light bulb. Maybe like this one. I grabbed the biggest one I could find. (laughs) This is a ginormous light bulb because I know it's really hard to see visual aids if you're far away. So... Uh, but, uh, or if you're just listening and not watching a video, you don't see it at all. An enormous light bulb like that one, or any light bulb for that matter. Why does a light bulb need electricity to function? I think the simple answer is it was designed that way. <laughs> if you separate the light bulb from electricity, what do you have? You've got a light bulb that can't behave like one. You might as well have a potato for all the light you're going to get out of it. <laughs> The light bulb is a wonderful invention. It's very precisely designed, but it's designed so that it can't function without electricity or some other kind of power source that uses an electrical current. Why does an engine, at least a gasoline engine, need gas in it to function? Well, it was made that way. Separate the engine from the gas and you've got a lawnmower that doesn't work. You've got a car that can't behave like one, right? You may have paid thousands and thousands of dollars for a car that won't run without a couple bucks worth of gas in it. Why do people need God in them in order to function? We were made that way. Separate God from a man or a woman, and what have you got? You've got a person, all right, but you've got a person who can't behave like one. You see, a a person is different from an animal, so we can't behave like an animal. But they're not a true human being, at least as God made them to be, so they can't entirely behave like that either. Salvation is getting God back into humanity and restoring them to their true humanity, at least the way God intended them to be. God is indispensable to true humanity. And until you and I have God living inside us, we're not whole. That's why we're always searching for something. God intended us to live with our creator inside of us and for us, the creation, to walk in dependence upon him, our creator. And so picture yourself as a light bulb. Are you connected to electricity? Or are you sitting in a box on the floor out of the socket, disconnected? This is why it's important to draw near to God. As David moved forward throughout his life, There's a pattern that can be seen. And one of the things that David did time and time again is he continually inquired of the Lord. There's a number of passages in Scripture that talk about this. He sought after God. He wanted to know God's will and what God would have him do. It was in the times when he didn't do this, by the way, that he ended up getting himself into trouble. (laughs) But we're not going into all that today. But there's many times in Scripture that David inquired of the Lord. He was continually trying to draw near to God. It's even been said that this is a characteristic feature of David's biography, him frequently seeking after the Lord's counsel. And that this feature of David's biography, it's not a feature of anyone else's biography in Scripture, Old Testament or New. So I think there's something important there. Whenever David faced a trial, especially with the enemies, He asked to know God's will. 
And each time he inquired, God graciously gave him a clear and definite answer. There's this amazing relationship we see that had developed between David and God as David drew near to God. Did you know that we're supposed to be doing this same thing too? Drawing near to God, leaning into that relationship with God through Jesus, developing our own intimacy with Him, learning from David's example. David was intent to know God's will, and this is why David is known as a man after God's own heart. May the Lord give us grace in our own walk and in our own journey to emulate David's example and to cultivate this habit of drawing near to him. And as we move forward in our journey, I think we need to try to make sure that we're doing that, that we draw near to God. And as I thought about this, some other passages come to mind that encourage us to do this. In the New Testament, James chapter 4, verse 8 says this, Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Hebrews 10, verse 22 says, Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. As we're nearing the end of our time here today, I think this verse from Hebrews kind of gives us some great insights on how we are to do this, to draw near to God. And I want to mention just some, I guess we'll call them principles about how we're going to do this. Some principles for drawing near to God. And we'll just touch on three of them today. One way that we are to draw near to God is with truth. We draw near with truth. In the Hebrews verse, it says that we must first draw near with a sincere heart. That word sincere It means true or genuine. It's more than simple sincerity, though it includes this. Because many religious people, they come to God in sincerity, but not necessarily in truth. I think our God demands both of these. Jesus himself told the woman at the well this, True worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. John chapter 4, verse 23. As we draw near to God... We want to have our hearts solidified in faith, in the truth of Jesus Christ, who He is, who we are, how those two things come and work together. We draw near with truth, not just sincerity. We also draw near with confidence. We need to grow in the assurance of our fellowship with God. The assurance mentioned in Hebrews 10.22 It's really a confidence. And building confidence takes time. It takes practice Um, for anything that we do, right? Whether it's sports, um, public speaking, driving a car if you're learning for the first time. But we need to practice coming into the presence of God also over and over and over again and over and over and over again some more until we gain confidence and build up our faith that we can do this and also that we should be doing this, drawing near to God. Because God wants us to do this. He encourages us to draw near to Him. 1 Peter 5 verse 7 reads, Cast all your anxiety on Him because He cares for you. And Jesus says in John chapter 15 verse 4, Remain in me as I also remain in you. 
And there's so many other Bible verses that show this idea that, that God wants us to do this and encourages us to do this. And you know, I, I think it's really one of those things that as you build your confidence with practice, it, it becomes one of those things that the more you do it, the more you're going to want to do it. I, I really believe that. So we draw near with truth. We draw near with confidence. And we also draw near with freedom. This is an interesting one, but an important one. Hebrews 10.22 mentions these phrases. Being cleansed from a guilty conscience and washed with a pure water. Even if feelings of guilt remain, the actual legal guilt, you might say, is gone because it's been taken care of. Because in Jesus Christ, God got rid of that. The sin that caused our guilt is taken care of. Remember Romans 8, 1 says, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Sometimes we as believers still experience guilty feelings over our past because we don't realize the full extent of our cleansing. So we must continually speak the truth of the gospel to ourselves and to one another so that we'll learn to live in the freedom that already belongs to us in Jesus Christ. And I know this can be difficult because a lot of times we're harder on ourselves than others are, if we admit it. And I think this holds true in our journey of faith too. I think a lot of times we're often harder on ourselves than God is. You see, in the Old Testament times, the priests, they had to repeat their cleansing rituals regularly and specifically also annually on the famous Day of Atonement. But now, we're not in those times. We have this permanent and direct access to God through Jesus Christ because we've been thoroughly cleansed by Jesus. And that atoning work of Jesus, it's so complete that it continues to do its work in us and cleanse us. 1 John 1 verse 7 tells us, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. It's an important little three-letter word, all. There is power in the blood of Jesus. There is no sin that God will not wash away when we come to God on God's terms. And as we move forward in our journey of faith, we need to draw near to God with freedom, knowing that he has cleansed us, that he has cleared and paved the path for us to come directly to him through Jesus, and that he wants us to trust him, to come and sit before him as David did. Draw near to God with truth, with confidence, and with freedom. As we close our time together today, I want to invite the worship team back up to lead us in a song of response. There is a wonderful thong, song, excuse me, that I think encapsulates some of these ideas. Maybe not all of them, but some of them. And it's the song, many of you probably know it, it's an older chorus called Draw Me Close. It's a simple song with just a verse and a chorus. But I hope that joining our hearts and voices together can strengthen our faith and be one of the ways that we will draw near to God. And I have the lyrics here as I get out of the way for the worship team coming up. They're on your uh, device. If you were going through the song lyrics prior to this and you've been following through the message, you can scroll back up and the song lyrics should be there also. 
But I want to read them before we sing it. And the lyrics are this. Draw me close to you. Never let me go. I lay it all down again to hear you say that I'm your friend. You are my desire. No one else will do. Because nothing else could take your place to feel the warmth of your embrace. Help me find the way. Bring me back to you. You're all I want. You're all I've ever needed. You're all I want. Help me know you are near. Draw me close to you Never let me go I lay it all down again To hear you say that I'm your friend And you are my desire No one else will Cause nothing else can take your place To feel the warmth of your embrace Help me find my way And bring me back to you Sing it again. Draw me close to you. Never let me go. I lay it all down again. To hear you say that I'm your friend. No one else will do Cause nothing else can take your place To feel the warmth of your embrace Help me find my way to bring me back to you
know you 